Amen. All right, so Psalm 4, I'm going to read it, and you guys can follow along. Um, in the inscription, it says that, that uh, it's, a, it's a prayer of David. Um, he's seeking God's ear, um, and uh, it was written in the inscription. It says, uh, to the chief musician uh, with a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. And so he writes, and he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, the Lord will hear when I call to him. Verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Amen. So even though this psalm is, um, it tells us um, that David is the author. It's unlike the psalm that we read and studied through last week, Psalm 3, if you remember, where we were told um, the exact events or the occasion surrounding the reason for why it was written. So we have the author, but we don't, we're not told of the exact occasion that it was written, and um, like Psalm 3 does. However, when you begin to read some commentaries and do some studying, and there's some key words that, that kind of highlight it as well. When you when you, when you read Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 together, um, many people believe that they're connected, that it's, 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 it's in reference to the same events. Um, and um, that would, of course, be in regards to um, the, the rebellion that was raised up against David by his son Absalom. And, and so they're similar expressions. The structure is very similar to, 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 to Psalm 3 and in that they both talk about enemies. They both talk about times of distress. They both talk about calling out to God and then, of course, ultimately in the God hearing their prayers and, 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 and answering. And so it's likely that Psalm 4 was written by David about the same time that Psalm 3 was. And if so, and you, when you read the account in, in the, the book of Samuel that I referred to in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18, which kind of account this event, what we see is that um, it may have taken place, this may have taken place, the writing of this psalm, after David had crossed the Jordan River, and we know that he would make his way, he made his way to the Levitical city of refuge called Maenaim, and it was located in the land of Gilead. And because of verse 8, where David writes about laying down in peace and sleep, this psalm is considered another prayer, a psalm of prayer, but specifically an evening prayer. And this very, this very, um, it's a, it was a very traditional way, according to the Jewish 
culture to the Jewish people. They'd rise early and they would have morning prayers. It coincided with the events that were going on at the, t- at the tabernacle, with the incense that was being offered by the priests. It was a very religious and ceremonial thing, and people would gather for that. David would go for morning prayer, and then also the same things would take place at the evening prayer at the tabernacle and later at the temple when it was constructed. And so there was this routine um, that would take place, and so even though David, we see, wasn't at the tabernacle, he wasn't in Jerusalem, he was still going on with his relationship with God by offering up these morning and evening prayers. But even though there is no defining connection really between these, these psalms, the psalm, I think, is something that we can relate to. And, and really, I, I like that there's no title telling us the events that surrounding the writing of it because... Um, um, I think there's in one sense, because of that, a clear opportunity for us to apply the psalm in this, in this general sense to each of our individual lives. We're also filled with differing situations. Because when we read about, in Psalm 3, about David being, um, uh, that it was written in regards to the time when Absalom led his rebellion against David, we might look at it just from the historical sense and go, well, I've never been a king. I've never been, had anybody lead a rebellion against me. And so there might be some disconnect to the things that David was writing there, even though there's things that we brought out that was very applicable in a general sense. But because there's no title, no heading uh, inscription in this um, uh, at the beginning of the psalm that says exactly what the events are, I think it makes it more easy to relate to when we, when we take about the, talk about the general things that David is writing about. Now, with that being said, the main message of Psalm 4 really entails David crying out for help. And, and I think that's probably, in that sense, one of the most simple and pure prayers that each one of us have ever prayed in our time of need. God, help right? And then we go on from there to elaborate and explain. And this is the main message. Again, David crying out to God for help. And then he goes on, I love this part of it, he goes on to warn his enemies to not sin against God by wronging him, right? And, and, and this was because God would protect him, and, and, and this fact caused David to rejoice in the face of all oppositions. And I, and I love this because David expresses really the truth that is written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, when he said this. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And that's what David is speaking really to his enemies at this time. They, just so you know, if God is for me, and God is for me, so what chance do you have against me? And... and um, I, I like that. And so one last thing I want to point out before we go through these verses is that, is that even though the psalm is another psalm of prayer, it was written with the intention of it becoming a song. And, and, and we know this is because in the heading it says, right, to the chief musician with a stringed instrument. When David had returned back to Jerusalem, when you, when you consider what was written here, it's very likely that he handed over this, this, this prayer to the chief musician and, and had him turn it into a song so that it could be used in corporate worship. And the first mention of the chief musician um, is, this is the first time that it's mentioned in the Psalms, but this same title, the chief musician, is found in 53 of the Psalms in total. And according to what we read in First Chronicles chapter 6, 
in addition to chapters 15 and verses, chapters 25 in First Chronicles, the chief musician was the worship leader, the minister of worship in the tabernacle or in the temple. In light of this, we see that the psalm was written by David with the intention that it would be used as a song of worship there in the tabernacle or in the temple. And the point is that David had turned, think about it, David had turned this very distressing situation, this distressing experience that he was in, literally into a song of praise to God. He turned that difficult event that he was in into a song of praise to God. And I think his example shows us really what our response needs to be when we're also in these times of crises that we're facing and how we can also turn the distressing experiences that we are going through into songs of praise to God when we turn to him in our time of need. So with that being said, if we look at verse 1 and start to go through this psalm, David cries out and he says, Hear me, in verse 1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. And the last part of this verse is so key. He says, Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Help me hear my prayer. And so in this first verse where David said, Hear me when I call, O my God of my righteousness, we see that he's calling upon God to answer him. Lord, I'm, I'm calling out to you. I'm speaking to you. I need to hear from you. Hear me so I might hear from you. And it's important that as we keep in mind that this psalm is a, a psalm of prayer, it's important to notice that when David called out to God, he, he does so with passion. I mean, you can read these words and you can, you can hear the, the, the emotion, I, I think, in, in which David writes as he's calling out to God. He did it with passion. He, he, he did it with an expression of emotion. And in doing so, it's clear that David didn't want to just like toss up words towards heaven. And I don't know about you, but there I've been guilty of that in my times of prayer. And where you know you know you're you're supposed to pray and 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 it's the time to pray and and so you say a few things and it's almost like you've you've done your duty kind of a thing and um and and it's a convicting thing when you see the passion in all of the psalms in which the the authors cry out to God or call out to God and it's not always in times of need lots of times it's in time of praise and even at the end of this psalm David's rejoicing he's giving praise to God and it's with passion it's with emotion and 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 um and so David wasn't just tossing words up to heaven rather he was just he was really opening his heart and and anytime there's passion or emotion from us as human being it's a, it's a it's an exposure it's an opening up of our heart whether it's to someone or, or, of course, in this situation, to God. And so he's opening up his heart to God and, um, because he needed God's attention. He needed his um, attention given to this present problem that he was in. And I point this out because it's possible that, that power in prayer is lacking because there's little passion in our prayer. There's little emotion. There's, there's not an opening up of our heart to God with what we're going through or what we need or, or how we want to worship him or express our love for him. And with that being said, don't, don't think, don't wrongly think that somehow we, we can like persuade God by some kind of emotional display. That's, that's not what it's about. But do understand that, that God wants us to care deeply, right? He wants us to care deeply about the things that he cares deeply about. And if we're calling out to him and asking him to intervene in something that we care about and we want him to care about it, it should be an expression 
to him that we do. A good example of this is seen in the words spoken by the prophet um, Isaiah. And when he, he kind of he spoke about sorrow in regards to the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 7, you know, Israel was far away from God. Um, they were uh, worshiping other false gods. There was judgment that was on the horizon with these other nations coming and attacking because the, because the, 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 people, the, the people of God had entered into spiritual adultery. And in, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 7, the prophet Isaiah calls out and he says this. He says, there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. And so with the words that the, of David written in the psalm, I think that they're a good example of, if you will, David stirring himself up to take hold of God. Remember, David had been praying for God's help and he was desperate to receive an answer. And he expected, as we see from this psalm, that God was going to answer him. And this is due in part to the fact that God had already filled David's heart with peace in spite of the distress that he was in, if this is connected to Psalm 3 and what we read about last week. And David proclaimed this as a praise to God when he said in verse 1 here, again acknowledging it, he said, you, look there in the middle of that verse, you have relieved me in my distress. So God had, David had already experienced God's hand in the midst of this situation, giving him, giving him peace in the midst of this distress in his heart. But David had not yet heard from God on what to do in light of this current situation that he was facing. And what David knew is that he ultimately, if he wanted things to change for the better, then he needed to hear from God. It was good to have the peace from God that surpassed the understanding of the situation that he was in, but there was still the unanswered question of, okay, God, what do I do next? I'm still in this real situation with these real problems. And he wanted things to change for the better, so he needed to hear from God in order to follow instructions. So and rather than them moving in a way that seemed right to him, right, we see that David in this first verse is really waiting upon the Lord. And he's not taking matters into his own hand or doing things in according to his own understanding. And even though waiting on the Lord, I think personally can be one of the hardest things to do, when, when there are times of distress, it is the thing that we must do after crying out to God for help. God help, and then we run and take care of the thing ourselves. That doesn't make any sense, does it? We enact without hearing what God's help is to us, or sitting still and letting him do the work that he may not even need us to do anyway. So crying out to God and waiting for God to help. And in Psalm chapter 27, verse 14, David tells us, he says this, he says, wait on the Lord. And when you look at that in context, that waiting on the Lord that David's speaking about is not just like going and laying down on your bed and doing nothing. It's this exercising of faith when we wait on the Lord in whatever the God tells us to do. Literally wait in faith on the Lord, David says in, in Psalm 27, verse 14. And then he goes on to follow with this. He says, so wait on the Lord, literally wait on Wait in faith on the Lord. Then he says, be of good courage. Have courage. And, 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 and courage is having strength in the face of danger, in the, faith, in the face of uncertainty. Be of good courage. And it says this, and he shall strengthen your heart. And again, David says, wait, I say, on the Lord. 
Also in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28, 31, talking about waiting on the Lord, Isaiah writes and he says this. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? And these are rhetorical questions to, to get our attention. He says, and, and, and it's like, yes, you know, and yes, you've heard, right? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the, of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. He understands, or his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord, waiting in faith. And this is what David is exampling to us here. And sometimes when we pray out to God and he gives us peace, right? He gives us a comfort in the situation that we're in that surpasses our understanding. We think that's the go-ahead to just go ahead and go into the situation and try to make it better. And forget about the whole part of what David's telling us here. You relieve me of my stress, but I need to hear from you. Hear me so that I can hear from you. I'm waiting on you. And so the last thing that I want to point out in verse 1 is how David said this. This is the cool part of this verse to me. So we have the reminders, we have the instruction, we have the encouragement. But David also says this as he cries out to God. He says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. To me, that's so powerful, and it sets the stage for everything else that we read, because I think it's, this is important, because it, 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 it reveals to us that David knew this when he cried out to God in mercy, to hear him, to intervene in his life. David knew when he said, Lord, have mercy on me, he knew this, that he did not deserve any help from the Lord. He didn't go, Lord, hear me, because I'm the king Right? Lord, hear me. I'm the one that you have anointed, and, and I found I'm the, I'm the man who's after your own heart. Hear me. Now he says, Have mercy on me and hear me. And so he didn't call out to God for help on the basis of favor. He called out to the, to the Lord for help on basis of God's mercy. In other words, David came to the Lord. He came to the Lord in this situation, in the psalm, and it's a reminder for us he came in genuine humility. And he made his request known, and even though he was the king who had been called and anointed by God, God did not owe David anything. And the Bible is clear when it teaches us to come to God with a spirit of humility, right? In 1 Peter chapter 5, and also in James chapter 4 where it says this, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the awesome thing about this is that, is that by what we read in this passage, we're reminded of how by God's grace or how God by his grace gives us what we don't deserve and how God in his mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. And this is very important because there are many times when we are in distress because we've done something of our own to get us in that place of distress. Right? We've done something against the will of God or ignored God's will. And in those times, when we're honest enough to realize that our distress is a result of our own failures, lots of times we just don't go to God. We're like, 
I'm getting what I deserve, and I know it. Yeah, but David's example to us is, is and, and when we look at it, if it's connected to this deal with Absalom, if Psalm 4 is really connected to the, the Absalom's rebellion, and we look at David's faults and failures leading up to this, David was to blame. He was to blame. And so this is very likely one of those times where David is going, yeah, I'm reaping what I've sown. But he still goes to God. Lord, hear me. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Going to God, making sure we go to God even when we don't deserve it. And, 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 and we, need to, we need to do this. We need to be honest enough to realize that our distress is a result of our failure, but, but still at the same time walk into the presence of God who's faithful to forgive, who's faithful to hear us when we cry out to him. And the reason we do this, because here's the truth, is that Satan will attack us in those moments. Satan will attack us, and, and he'll tell us that we don't deserve God's help. And he does that because he wants to keep us in bondage to the distress that we're in and away from God. But here we're reminded that God's help, God's help is always, guys, according to his grace. Don't be mistaken of, of that truth. God's help for us is always according to his grace. Even in those times when we've been like the righteous who's being attacked by the unrighteous. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, you were doing the righteous thing and therefore I'm going to help you. Even then in that moment, God's help is an act of his grace. It's an act of his mercy. And not because we're deserving of it. Remember that because of Jesus, we never come to God's throne of judgment. Right? Because of Jesus, we never come to God's throne of judgment. We always come to his throne of, of grace. This is what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 reminds us of. And I think grace is, we know it, we believe it, we receive it, but it's a hard thing to walk in on a day-to-day -day basis. But we got to remember these truths. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 14, 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And this is what David's pointing us to. And as we continue on, verses 2 and 3, he goes on and he's speaking to the Lord, but he's speaking also to, to these people who are, who are coming against him. He says, How long, O sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehoods? Selah. But no, he says, verse 3, Know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is, who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. And continuing on in these next few verses, we see, these couple of verses, we see that even though, remember, even though David was not in Jerusalem where the revolt was taking place, and even though he wasn't on the battlefield yet ready to fight against his enemies, David was still confronting his enemies, and it was in the most effective place possible as it was in the battlefield of prayer before God. In his prayer closet, maybe tent, prayer tent at this point, he was going to battle. He knew there was a spiritual aspect of it that could not be denied, guys. And so often we forget the spiritual side of things. The Bible says we don't, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities, powers of darkness. 
And we enter into that battle through prayer. And David was going to battle in prayer well before he ever picked up the sword and entered into the actual battle, which you read about down the road. And this is, this is, this is different than those times when we, in our mind, what David's talking about, this is different in those times when he's, he's recounting and warning these guys. It's different in those times when we, in our mind, replay all, all of the wrongs that, that have been done against us and think about the different things we're going to say or the different things that we're going to do to those who have done some kind of wrong to us. Because lots of times we do that, right? We can be in our bed, we can be thinking about what happened, and we go, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, this is what I'm going to say. And, and, and we're engaging the battle in our mind, but that's all the further it goes. It never goes into the prayer closet to bring it before God. That's not what this is talking about. It's, it's specifically going to God. And rather, this confronting of our enemies, in, in, first in the battlefield of prayer, as we speak things to God, which we've been spoken to those who have heard us, it serves the purpose, it serves the purpose of preparing our heart for the battle. And when we don't bring it to God and we're doing it, we're just kind of preparing our mind. And in that sense, the Bible is true when it says, there then is a way that seems right to us, but is in, leads to death or to destruction. And we can, we can account these things like we're saying, but not formulating a plan, but we can count them to God and let God formulate the plan and speak to us. And, and this is a cool thing, and it is because... In that sense, many things happen that, that we have no influence on anyway. And so we're preparing our hearts for the battle. In other words, speaking to God helps us make sure that our heart is ultimately in line with God's heart when we do go into whatever situation we need to face. And it helps us to put the situation then into a right perspective. And this is important because it's really easy. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I know about me too. It's really easy for us all to kind of blow things out of perspective, right? Something happens and we're like, ah, right? And, and if we just stop and take a breath and go before God, then maybe things are put into a right perspective. We blow things out of proportion. And when we're feeling distressed, um, and, 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 and if we react emotionally, we're probably going to do things then that we will later regret. Say things and do things that we'll, we later regret, right? Yet if we take the time to confront the situation in the battlefield of prayer before God, then we look at our situation and, 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 and what happens is, is it often changes as the perspective we have now is changed because we now see ultimately that God's a part of the equation. And the part of the equation that God is now a part of is the solution, right? We don't see just the problem. We see God in it, and we see that there's a solution. So as David confronted his enemies in the battlefield of prayer, he asked a question first in verse 2 and said this, Just how long will the ungodly keep their unjust ways? Just how long will the godly, ungodly keep to their way? And think about this, because by this, David was remembering that the righteous ways of God will always prevail. He was almost saying, like, you don't have a chance. You can do everything you want to do. You can be as ungodly as you want. How long will you continue? Because ultimately what he knows, the truth that he's speaking is that the righteous ways of God will always prevail. 
And, and the ungodly cannot keep to their way forever. So they might as well abandon their, godly way, their ungodly ways and be blessed. This is what David is really saying here. In the light of this, I want to point out that, that the nature of the attack that David was bringing before God, according to verse 2, it was not the physical attack that he spoke of back in Psalm chapter 3 when the armies of Absalom were pursuing, Right? It wasn't the physical attack. It was the attack ultimately against his reputation that he was bringing before the Lord right now. By those who were trying to shame him, he said, or to slander him by seeking falsehood and lies against him. That's what we read here. And, and if you've had that happen to you, you know that this can be a very distressful thing that hurts. When someone slanders your reputation, when they try to shame your reputation, when they speak lies about you, Nevertheless, when we find ourselves in this kind of situation, we need to remember what, what David said in verse 3 when he basically said, um, it, it doesn't matter what you say about me. The truth is this. He says, I've been set apart by God. Right? He's remembering who he is in God and that God is for him. I've been set apart by God. And he says, and he hears me when I call out to him. And in this instance, when we remember that God has set us apart, because we too have been set apart, but in this instance, when we remember that God has set us apart, it means that He sees us. What does it mean? He means He sees us as someone who is special to Him. David said, God sees me as someone special. I'm His favorite. You know, that's what He's saying. How dare you mess with me? Don't you know who you're going against? Your ungodly ways aren't going to prevail because God's righteousness will prevail. And these are things that we hold on to and speak to ourselves in the presence of God. We see that he sees us as someone special and someone who he has called into a special service for him. And that's equally as important because it's a reminder that God has a plan for us and God's plans will prevail, the ones that he has for us, and no one else will be able to stand in the way. And because of this, we can trust that God is going to defend our reputation. I have a little sign on my, on my wall. I have a lot of them. But one of the things I remind myself is it says, it says, worry about your character. Let God worry about your reputation. And sometimes we get it flipped around. And we can trust that God is going to defend our reputation against slanders and lies that people speak against us. And how does God do it? He does it by bringing the truth to light. I love it in Psalm, I think it's 37, that God says, maybe 37, 27, says that God, trust in the Lord, lean not on your understanding. And it goes on to say that God will, and I'm, I'm butchering it, but it says that God will bring forth your justice as if it was the noonday. So when someone sins against you, when someone speaks lies against you, when someone comes against you, that God's going to bring it all to light, the truth to light at the noonday, just like it's the noonday. And it's important because that reference to the noonday is at a time when the sun is directly up above and there's no shadow, no casting of a darkness to the right or to the left. God's going to expose it. And he brings forth these things by bringing forth the truth. He reveals the truth. He makes the truth known. And we can trust in God for that. However, guys, nevertheless, we let, as we let God worry about our reputation, we are called to have a good character. We're called to be concerned about our character. Specifically, the Bible refers to that by this, and Peter says, to live holy lives. 
okay? And a good character is a godly character which seeks to please and glorify God by what we do and what we, by what we say. And a godly character, ultimately we know, is this, this, this work of, of, of um, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. Why? Because it's a product ultimately of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, right? Who instructs us in ways of righteousness, Changes our hearts so that the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control is ultimately what's manifested in our lives. It's a work of the Spirit. And with that, David goes on to give us this admonition. So, so to live holy lives, to, to, to trust in God. And he goes on to say then in verse 4, it's, it's very... It's very um, it's, it's the right thing at the right time. So it's a reminder. He goes, be angry and do not sin. Right? So what's our, what's, our, what's, our, what's our part? He says, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer, he says, the sacrifice of righteousness. So in other words, even if no one else is doing the right thing around you, still do the right thing. Put your trust in the Lord. Because the tendency of the temptation is, is when someone does something wrong to you, or says something bad about you, you may know some things about them, right? And if they're slandering you, you go, oh, oh yeah? Let me go slander you, or let me do something evil to you. I mean, that's, that's our human nature. It is. It's not, the, it's not the character of a godly man or someone who's trusting in the Holy Spirit, walking and living in faith in the Holy Spirit, but it is that battle that takes place, and David recognized it, and he's going, listen, you can be angry, but don't sin. Meditate within your heart again on your bed and be still. And he says, offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And he says in verse 6, ultimately, there are many who will say, there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us and you have put gladness in my heart. So here's this, this expression of praise and worship to God. He says, more than in the season that their grain and wine is increased. So in the, in the time of harvest, Lord, when everything is plentiful, you know, the gladness you put in my heart is better than that. Even in this situation where I have, you know, none of those things, I'm on the run. He says, he's given me that, this gladness that doesn't comprehend what's, it's, it's incomprehensible compared to what's going on around me. And he says in verse eight, lastly, he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so in these last verses, David speaks these words of instruction. And I love that, this admonishment, because it's the very practical aspect of what do we do with where we're at and what's going on. And because of this, this psalm of prayer was, was in, intended to be set to a song, remember going to the very beginning, David gave it to the chief musician, set it to song, it was to be used for corporate worship. Some Bible scholars think because of that that David was really talking to the men who were with him at this time who were also going through the things that he were going through. His faithful men who had fled with him, those who had remained loyal in the face of Absalom's rebellion, who were probably also struggling, if you think about it, with waiting on, waiting on God and doing the godly thing they're like they were probably going they were men of war they're like let's go get this rebel right let's take him out let's let's quit running it wasn't in their nature 
Though they were probably struggling with, on God, with waiting on God and struggling with doing the godly thing. And, 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 and this may be the case. We don't know for sure. But at the very least, it appears to me, and it's probably both things, but it appears to me that these words of admonishment were something that David was first speaking to his own heart. Things that he was instructing himself on what to do as he called out to God. Have you ever done that? You're like, you have that conversation with God. Okay, God, this happened. This is what I want to do. I know this is what I should do. Um, if you don't help me, this is what I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that going on here. This is how I kind of see David. And, and he may have been speaking to his men, but I think he's probably speaking himself too, talking himself down and, and um, calling out to God. And in doing so, really what David was asking God for, whether it was for his men or for himself or, or for us, he's asking for God to strengthen him so he would do the right thing, right? And I think that's a very real, real prayer. God, help me, strengthen me so I do the right thing here. I remember when I first got saved, this is, this is not even anywhere in my notes, but I remember I was, I, was, I was the type of guy that, I mean, anger was a part of my life. I mean, I love to be angry. Because you can manipulate people, and people are afraid of you, and you do things that can be fun. It's, it's also, it's not good. It's not good at all. But I, I remember when I first got saved, and I don't remember the exact situation. I just remember somebody, a guy doing something to me, and I didn't react in anger. I didn't, I didn't punch him out. I didn't fight. I didn't attack him. And all I, all I remember saying, and, and I, I think I said it to him out loud, is he, just, he, I, I said something like, uh, um, you're, you're glad that I'm a Christian now, kind of a thing. Just giving him that warning, because if I wasn't, it was like there was something else waiting for you that wasn't gonna be any good. And, and I think David's calling in God in that same thing. I'm, I wanna be like you, God. I don't wanna be like me without you. Because it's not only better for me, but it's better for those around me. And, and to show the God's love rather than to be anger. And so David was asking for God to strengthen him for that he would do the right thing. And in these verses, David gives six specific instructions. And that's how I want to wrap it up this morning. Six instructions, all of which I say are so useful to us today when we find ourselves in time of distress and getting angry because of it. So the first thing that David says here in verse 4, is, he says, be angry and do not sin. And I think this first instruction is such a good reminder in light of the ungodliness that is um, willingly embraced in the world that we live within today, right? It's everywhere. The ungodliness that is in the world that we live in today is everywhere. And, and I think this is a good reminder because with the evil that is being perpetrated today, really, it's, it's, it's this whole other level because it's, it's evil that's being called good, right? And then good that we've been called to do is, is being called evil, and, and then we along with that, right, you stand up for, for things like, you know, um, unborn life or the sanctity of life, whether it's, well, it's in the womb or at the end of life, and I've had the opportunity to do both of those things in the last, in the last few weeks, and, and it's been received by people who have gone, that's unloving that you think like that. And it's like, oh, it's so frustrating because I know that it's something that is, is a hurtful, evil thing. It, it hurts people. And, 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 and our whole world is filled with instances like that where people are calling good evil and evil good. And so we have many reasons, I think, to be angry and with, with the ungodliness that David was surrounded by, 
He too had many reasons. He had reasons to be angry, but he had no reason to sin in the midst of his anger, right? Sin was not justified. Just because someone's doing a sinful thing and we are angry with that, it's not a justification then for us to return sin, to return evil with evil, right? What overcomes evil? Good. Overcome evil with good. We overcome fear with love. And so David reminded himself to not sin in his anger and to find comfort in this, in meditation before the Lord. What do I do? If I'm not to be angry, or if I'm to be angry and not to sin, then what do I do? And he goes, meditate. Meditate before the Lord. And this is the second instruction. So be angry, don't sin, meditate within your heart. Literally what he's saying is search your own heart. And it reminds us of, of, of Matthew chapter 7, right? The, 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 the verse where it says, judge not lest you be judged, right? But then it goes on to say that um, when you judge, that you, you, know, you do it with the same way that God does, but first we're called to remove the what? The plank from our own eye so we may see clearly to remove the speck from our brother's eye. It's the self-examination part that, takes, that has to take first, take place first. And really that's what David's saying. So meditate within your heart or search your own heart is what he says. And when David writes about meditation here, he's instructing us to fill our hearts with and to set our mind on God's word. In light of this, we should see that David's instruction to search our own hearts as we consider God's word is a call to remember that it's very easy to get angry at the sins of others and then ignore our own sin and sinfulness, right? In fact, David himself was guilty of this many times. His life is on display throughout the words. Remember, David, David had an extramarital affair with a woman named Bathsheba. Right? And then she, he got her pregnant, and then he had her husband killed, and then uh, he tried to pretend for a year or so like it didn't happen, and then Nathan, the prophet, came to him. He said, David, let me tell you this little story. There's this guy, he has, he's a rich guy. He's got all kinds of sheep. And, and, and yet there's this one man. He's a, he's a poor man. He's got one little sheep. It's so precious to him. You know, he lives with it. He takes care of it. It's like a pet, He's in love, he's, it's, it's a part of their family. Well, the rich guy came and took the, 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 the poor man's sheep and he killed it and he ate it. And, 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 he, and Nathan's all, David, what should, you do? what should we do? David's all, that man should be you know, put to death and cut in two and all these things. And then Nathan just simply goes to David. He goes, David, you're the man. You're the man. And, and, and we know that Nathan was using it as an analogy to explain what David had done with Bathsheba and covering his sin and God knew it. And then David broke and repented. But it's so easy, guys, it's so easy to be angry at other people's sins while ignoring our own, and yet we're the man. We're the one that stands guilty so often. David was guilty of it as well. So instead of tossing and turning in bed because of the things that others are doing, guys, you know, what are we meditating on? The what ifs and what they did and what we're going to do. Rather than doing that, we should be taking a personal inventory in our times of meditation before the Lord to see if first if there's any sin in our own hearts that it needs to be confessed. Because it takes two, okay? And, 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 and when you're in this, was David guilty to some degree? Had he sinned against his son? Yeah. Was Absalom justified in what he did? No. But he needed to reflect on his part. And so, so David says, meditate. Meditate, search your own heart. 
and, and see if there's something that needs to be confessed. And then he says this in verse, he goes on and says, be still, right? Be still. Be angry, do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Be still. The Amplified translation, um, uh, Amplified version of the Bible, he tra- they translates it with this. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give a, uh, it, it kind of expounds the, the thought here. It says, be sorry for the things that you say in your heart. Be still. Be sorry for the things that you say in your heart. Another translation says this. It simply says, say so in your heart. In other words, um, say to your heart, sin not. Say to your heart, sin not. So as we be still, quote unquote, be still before the Lord, meditating on God's word before the Lord is so that we might be guided by God's word and then take action in accordance to what God has shown us and do the godly thing rather than react to our anger and do a sinful thing. Right? Be still. And then David goes on to give two additional admonitions. He says, offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. David, see, David, we, we as Calvary Chapel people, we don't, we don't have a very liturgical anything in our worship service. But not that there's anything bad with, with liturgy where there's, where there's rituals or religious things that we do as long as the heart is right, right? And, and so don't be opposed to those kinds of things. Just make sure the heart's right. And see, I point that out when David speaks about offering sacrifices of righteousness and putting his trust in the Lord because David knew that there was value in religious things, to offer up sacrifices. It was a part of the, the, the Hebrew religion, Right? God had instituted it, yet he also knew that those things could not replace trust in the Lord. Religious things cannot replace putting your trust in the Lord. And this was an important reminder at this time, considering, think about it, David had been forced to flee from Jerusalem, and he had been exiled to the wilderness, and so at this moment, he couldn't go to the tabernacle. He couldn't offer up sacrifices and participate in the daily ceremonies, whether it's the the sacrifices or the morning prayers or the evening prayers. Any of these things, he was isolated from that. But what David could do, which was more important in offering the sacrifice of righteousness, was putting his trust in the Lord. He could put his trust in in the Lord, and do righteous things even in the midst of all the uncertain things that he was facing. And this is a reminder, I think, for us that sacrifice or any other religious act, what can that be for us? Prayer, reading our Bible, singing songs of worship, tithing, serving those who God puts around us, among other things, is first and foremost, guys, always an issue of the heart, right? Any of those things is an issue of the heart, and so when it comes to offering up the sacrifice of righteousness, a heart that David's pointing to, a heart that is trusting in God and a heart that is in love with God is what it's all about. Remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, Paul writes, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. And he says, which, by the way, is your reasonable service. Why would you not? And he goes on to speak about the righteous part of it, the righteous acts of it, and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, meditation upon the Lord and God's word, so that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. 
This brings us to the last instruction in verses 6 through 8. So if the worship team wants to come back up, the last part of this is to be found in verses 6 through 8. I'm not going to reread it again, but just in verses 7, I will say this. Um, as David says, And you have put gladness in my heart, more than the seasons that are in the grain and the wine that it increase. And he speaks about what God has done for him. And, 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 and really what David is doing, guys, is he's, he's got his eyes off of himself at this moment. He's got his eyes off of his circumstances and the things that are, are causing him distress, and he's got his eyes on God, and, and all he can do in that moment is praise the Lord, to worship God with a heart of thankfulness, with a heart of gratitude. And here's, here's the reminder. Here's what David brings us to in conclusion. He, he reminds us of this, is that our God is worthy of praise no matter what we're going through because he's praiseworthy all the time. And our praise and worship of the Lord cannot be conditional on how we are feeling, what we are going through, or what's going on around us. And praise is an awesome tool that releases our heart from the distresses that we're in to find comfort and peace in the Lord that is greater than anything that, 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 that we can manufacture by some kind of external circumstance. It's the relationship part of it that David points us to, and he goes, praise the Lord, guys. The last admonition is to praise the Lord. Give him thanks. Be grateful. Worship him with a heart that says, I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for these very practical admonitions that David writes to us, Lord, that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that can help us in our own times of doubt and discouragement and, and distress, Lord, and the trials that we face. And, and, and in that, I think we can do what even Nolan was uh, encouraging us with this morning, Lord, that we can be flexible in our Christianity, God, in, in, in true religion, Lord, where we are, where we are um, trusting in you with all of our heart, no matter what you've called us to, no matter what we don't have, no matter what we do have. Lord, we know that Ultimately, you're, you're still a God who's on the throne. You're a God who loves us, a God who is for us. And, and Lord, that you and your will ultimately prevail in our world and in our lives. So God, help us to remember these things as we leave here this morning so that we too may be filled with gladness and we may have hearts in praise, um, hearts that praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You guys stand?